The Open Source Creative Podcast, episode 43, catching up. This is the Open Source Creative Podcast, a podcast where I ramble on about creativity, process, and open source software. I'm Jason Van Gumster, your host and driver. Well, I'm not driving, but I'm going to keep using saying that. Using saying that? I'm going to keep saying that. <laughs> In any case, the show is back. And this is a bit of a catch-up episode where I talk out, uh, talk about what, what's been going on for the last, what, three years since the last episode. And uh, those sorts of things while I kind of still sort out my, my recording situation. If you have thoughts and ideas about the show because, well, its format's going to be a little bit different, then you should probably send me an email over at podcast at opensourcecreative.org. All right. Let's get at it. Oh, we're going to toast marshmallows, are we? Could be. So what has been going on? Well, let's let's talk about me briefly because well, that's my podcast, so I'm going to. <laughs> um, yeah, for the last three years, we've been busy working on other things, and uh, commuting became a little bit different, so I didn't I wasn't able to record as much, which is why the podcast would have faded for a while and for a long while, but been keeping up on blenderartist.org as the moderator there and, and working on that. Right Click Select is still being used as a great resource for Blender for uh, posting ideas on, on that sort of uh, on that sort of thing. On new features and feature requests that you'd like to have for Blender. And speaking of Blender, I'm going to get to this in a little bit, but holy crap that, that we have so much has happened with Blender. You're not even going to recognize it if you haven't seen it in a while. And, uh, yeah, I also started a small uh, adventure where I was uh, making jewelry with, with carving and, and bending wood to make rings and whatnot. Still doing it. It's tons of fun. Outside of me, though, we've got other fun things. So let's go talk about Blender. Blender 2.8. This is most most recent. The 2.8 series was developed and finally got released at the end of last year and has been steadily doing new releases ever since. In fact, I believe tomorrow, which is Wednesday as I record this, uh, Blender 2.83 is coming out. One of the other interesting things with the whole Blender development series is that they have decided to pilot the idea of doing a um, long-term support version of Blender, sort of like with the, the LTS versions for Ubuntu and other Linux distributions. The idea being that Blender's being used a lot commercially, and commercial vendors tend to like to have the same uh, version of a, of a particular piece of software for an entire production or for whatever project they're working on. And so with as fast as Blender tends to develop once, once it gets its uh, legs running, it trying to keep up with that for for any production is is difficult especially since all the bug fixes end up in the most recent version if you're still version locked on the earlier version you don't get the benefit of those bug fixes this isn't so much about the features it's the stability of the application and so the idea is that blender 2.83 is the first long-term support version of blender so 
it'll be out and the, um, they're going to be backporting any bug fixes to that as they start working on the 2.9, 3.0 series and that farther down in the future. And so every one or one year or so, there will be an LTS release and that release will be supported for two years. That's on code.blender.org if you had a chance to go check that out. Um, I'm writing that down so I can put it in the show notes. Ha ha ha. I can write right now because I'm not driving. Yay! <laughs> uh, other fun and interesting things. Let's see. Oh, let's keep on with the Blender stuff. And this is Blender and me because earlier this year I released Blender for Dummies, the fourth edition, which also covers all of the stuff covering. Covered all the stuff covering. Uh, it's been a while, hasn't it? It covers all of the updated interface parts of the Blender 2.8 series, which the change in interface on Blender 2.8, 2.80, 81, 83, 82, 83, um, this is on par with a number of changes that happened with the Blender 2.5 series. So complete overhaul of the of the user interface. In fact, my, my beloved right-click select is gone. Well, it's not gone. It's just not the default any longer. But lots and lots of changes not just on the interface but also new features um, and improved features blender sculpting tools have been um, to say that they've, they've been improved would be the, the biggest understatement but as excited as I can be about blender sculpting capabilities one of the, my, the thing I'm most excited about as you know as an animator is grease pencil uh, grease pencil if you didn't know is uh, was originally an annotation tool that was built into blender and it's been in there forever and it was a really good tool for for doing an animation whoever's doing the the directing part of that could do drawovers to show what uh, timing changes or posing changes or those sorts of things it was very useful for that but because um, you you end up having to keyframe showing where things are changing it's it's basically an animation tool and I've actually used it for that in the past for doing basic 2D animation stuff. Well, with the release of Blender 2.80, Grease Pencil is a full-fledged first-class citizen object within Blender. And that means that you you can manipulate it just like any other Blender object, and you end up doing these, having the capability of doing full 2D animation in 3D space. And so you have the ability to do things where you have a character running towards the camera, you don't necessarily have to draw it bigger bigger, bigger with every time. You can draw a run cycle and animate the object moving closer to the camera. You can do these sorts of tricks and then you can to, not that tricks because you're actually working in 3D space, but you can also use that to um, I don't know, just the ability to do 2.5D animation 3D animation and mixing that with, with, with 2D animation and then really, really sort of supercharging the power you can get in 2D. Grease Pencil brings all of that to the table and it's super exciting and I, I can't I can't I can't not talk about it a lot uh, of course there's there's sort of meat and potatoes sort of features that come that, that are in the latest release of blender where your uh, asset management tools and EV of course a lot of this is facilitated by EV which is the real-time renderer that's being built that's been built into uh, blender to replace the blender internal uh, render engine that was that was in there and EV is is mostly there there's a few things that blender internal still does better but they're sort of limited use case things and happen to be some of the things that I tend to use it a lot for so like you're not going to be able to do um, 
render farm rendering with EV just yet because it's using an, it's actually a real time renderer using OpenGL context and the way that OpenGL currently works you have to have an actual viewport window on your desktop that says hey I'm drawing G- GPL or GPL uh, OpenGL stuff and you got to put stuff in there and so that makes it difficult to do headless rendering for render farms. So they're still trying to sort that out. Um, there's a number of feature requests when we were at the Blender conference last year, Blender conference 2019, to cover that. And hopefully, hopefully, I mean, the developers are aware of it and they know that it's an issue and they know that if you're going to be doing distributed rendering of any sort with EV, you need to have that kind of feature because if you don't, it's it's kind of a problem. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to seeing some of those feature gaps between what was in Blender internal and what is now in EV get covered. Of course, the Blender 2.79 release still is out there, still works and still is functional. So if you want Blender internal, you can hop right back to that one and use it, which I periodically do. Speaking of the Blender conference, though, one f- one other fun thing is uh, I gave a little talk about right-click select while I was there, mostly about how not to do feature requests, which is really a thinly guised way of, please, this is the right way to do feature requests. The punchline on that one, of course, is that developers for open source software, but developers in general are are putting their time and effort into making something for you. And on the open source side of it, they're making something for you for free, right? So the least you can do is put the same amount of effort into whatever feature request or proposal you're putting into for improving Blender. So that's that's the piece I had on there, and I, I still feel very strongly about that, especially seeing the the type and quantity of feature requests that get posted on rightclickselect.com, or sorry, rightclickselect, which is now part of the blender.community website. Um, it, it's it's I see a lot of these, and so it's, it's really worth it for, for folks to try to Put together something that is that is well thought out and not just sort of hey make it better sort of things um, but while i was there um i was wearing a shirt that i had actually designed that says uh it's vertex not vertice because uh some some folks and everyone's made that mistake before you know you say click you've been saying vertices 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 when you're saying talking about the geometry of 3d and then you say oh click on this one vertice here and they like, oh no that's it's vertex it's not vertice you click on that so i had a shirt that says it's vertex not vertice and uh some folks thought it was funny enough and asked me where i got it and i said that i made it and so now i've made it actually available for anybody to to purchase actually there's actually a merch site on opensourcecreative.org uh, where you could go and get that. And I actually, cause I, just because I could, I also did a coffee mug. So that's fantastic. Other fun news and things coming through open source world stuff would be, oh yeah, Microsoft has, has uh, decided that it absolutely loves open source. And a lot of folks are still pretty skeptical about that. But I mean, they've they've been sort of in some ways putting their money where their mouth is in some ways I think there's some parts of the company that, that, that don't know what's going on or don't have the same sort of vision as as um, whatnot so there's there's still some some sorting out and figuring it but for their Azure platform I mean open source is basically running the backbone of that right and so yeah or at least 
anybody who wants to use cloud computing is using Linux as the basis for it. And so you're going to be playing with open source software. And as part of that, uh, fun, fun and interesting surprise, Microsoft not only bought LinkedIn, but they also bought GitHub. So that was fun. So mostly this is, this is me recapping stuff that if you've sort of lived in a hole for the last three years and the only, your only source of news about open source was, was this particular podcast, I'm helping you out with that. Then, uh, oh, I'm going to go back to Blender because it's not just Blender though. There's a lot of the creative applications. Epic, uh, the uh, video game company for people might recognize, they have been producing mega grants and then uh, mega grants being, that's right, large quantities of money that they've been giving to a number of open source projects for improving that. Blender got that. Uh, Krita got that. I think a couple other ones got that. I have to double check the, the website to... To, to see that, but yeah, the Epic has been pr- producing a lot of funds for helping develop open source creative tools, which is fantastic because one, I use those tools, and two, everybody can use those tools. And the fact that they're they're using those tools in productions and that they're folks are recognizing the the capabilities of these tools is is super exciting, and I'm really 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 happy to see them doing that. And you start seeing. Blender and Krita and Inkscape, even GIMP, getting used in larger scale productions to get things done. And that's that's what they're designed to do. They're, they're programs that are designed to get things done. So seeing that, seeing that happen uh, is, is really exciting because that's it's a fundamental shift in the way that I think, especially in the, the, the entertainment industries, have been perceiving um, and, and or at least I won't say perceiving because a lot of people who are in those communities have been using open source software all, all along but the the sort of the corporate approach to that is sort of caught up a bit with how uh, well everybody else handles open source right and I think I'm going to have a whole episode just about this topic it'll probably be the next episode um, so I'm going to I'm not going to jump off into a rant on that one just yet Oh, you know, I lost track of what I was saying. Oh, okay. So that's, uh, that's been uh, actually, I want to say that that's been really exciting to see the whole, uh, sort of companies, the way companies and therefore the individuals within those companies have been seeing and perceiving and, and, and working with open source is, is, is really gratifying. And it's really helpful to see that, um, they're actually. It, I don't want to say it's being taken seriously, but I'm going to say it's. It's. It. You know, open source creative tools are being taken more seriously. Part of that's because the the some of the tools have reached a level of maturity where they can uh, work reliably on on a lot more than they had in the past. And some of it, I think, is is yeah, very much the um, that in those industries catching back catching up with the rest of the world in terms of how how to deal with and handle open source software and that's been that's been great to see the other the other fun uh thing at least on on my end of things is that i've been um re rediscovering uh some some web design related stuff i basically because i have a i actually have a bunch of different websites that i that i maintain for myself i have my 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 personal site monsterjavaguns.com i have uh i mean 
in addition to the the ones that I'm I'm sort of moderating, which would be right click select and, and Blender Artist, but my own personal sites, I have monsterjavaguns.com. I've got this site, opensourcecreative.org. I've got bentwoodforge.com, which is for those wooden rings I was telling you about that I that I produce. I've got uh, definitelytrue.com, which is a site that I use for telling lies, and. Um, that's been, I actually released a book about that a few, uh, five years ago, and I actually ended up re-releasing that book, and I'll be releasing more of those down the road, where it's just a compendium of lies. I, I make stuff up. I have so many crazy, goofy ideas, I gotta put them somewhere, so I make stuff up, and I put them on a website and share them with everybody, and then um, I'll get those compiled. I've, right now, I have over 2,000 of these things, and it's been a blast to make, but I've been putting together these websites, and, and actually, as I've been re- uh, redesigning the sites and, and, and revitalizing them uh, I have also been sort of slowly trying to de-googleify them a little bit so I had been using Google Analytics for for looking at the sites for a while there but Google that's a lot more information one than I need for for as small as these sites are but also it's it's more on the tracking side of things as well because one of the other big things that happened in the last handful of years was the GDPR which is a uh, Euro regulation that was put in place to uh, basically it was a don't be a dick law for, for internet people and internet marketers so don't track people don't you know if you're gonna if you're gonna track people let them know that they're being tracked uh, these deals with cookies and and those sorts of things on, on websites which is a tools that marketers will use a lot and Google Analytics was using that and, and sort of tracking that information across multiple sites and giving giving the giving Google in particular but also individual uh, companies uh, very very uh, clear I'll say uh, profiles of the people that visit their site, which is good from a marketing standpoint, but maybe not so good from people who are being marketed too. And I'm not really one, again, those, those, those kinds of tools are not something that I need. And I also, you've heard in earlier episodes, if you happen to have listened to the back catalog, uh, the, the, the marketing thing that it's been traditionally sort of uh, done with with a lot of the tracking. I say traditional because prior to the the advent of the web, that the, the uh, marketers didn't have as much com- customer information as they do now. And but being able to track that information on the internet has gotten really really easy. And that's I don't know if that's necessarily been a good thing. And I don't necessarily want to support that myself. So I've been pulling a lot of the the that. Google Analytics stuff out of every one of my sites and I've actually but I, I still need some kind of information about the people that visit my site and it's mostly basic stuff like um, how many how many people visit the site uniquely right I just, just general numbers in terms of count what pages do people visit the most that way you know if I, for instance like this podcast if I see that oh somebody's looking a lot at my mind mapping uh, episode that I made maybe I should talk more about my uh about mind maps and those sorts of things because that's something people are interested in learning about and I'm again as a podcast I'm, I'm here to serve you I'm here to help not just ramble on about stuff like I tend to do but also I want to be able to to serve you and give you information that you're actually finding useful and helpful and those sorts of things and so being able to serve that because I mean the fact of the matter is you know I'm all over the internet right I have tons of social media accounts. I, every 
just about every social media platform I exist on. I have email. The site um, used to have comments at every episode. And of the people that would listen to the episode, you know, I would I would maybe periodically get one to, say, 2% of the people who actively listened would actually give me feedback and information about that. And so because that kind of engagement is relatively low in the general case, I need to try to infer things from 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 people visiting. So again, knowing that people, most of the people who visit opensourcecreative.org are Firefox users, for instance, or that they're visiting uh, using desktop PCs more than they're using their phones, or that they follow links that, are, that I posted on uh, whatever social media account. That kind of information is useful so that I can uh, provide more useful website stuff website well in this case for the podcast a more useful podcast for you and so what i've done while de-googlifying i have switched over to a different an open source package ha, 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 called goat counter it actually was just it wasn't it hasn't been out for very long it's been out maybe a year i have to double check the first release of that but it's a um analytics package that's written in go that you can self-host so i actually set up a uh, a linode instance where i have it living on that and each of the websites that i run takes whatever little bit of you know little bit of information and shoots that over to my goat goat counter uh instance and and uh, i get that little basic information and because it doesn't really use it doesn't track you in, in the sense that, that Google tracks you, there's actually not necessarily... One of the other th- big things that came with the GDPR and all this tracking stuff is that every website now, because they all use analytics, every one of them has this little button on there that says, okay, you know that you're being tracked. You're By visiting my this website, um, you know that there are cookies and blah, 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 blah. And I actually find those notifications, while they're legally compliant, they're annoying as all hell because... One, there's no real standard for for where to place them or how to place them or how to make people, you know, make them click OK or not or any of that stuff. And it's really quite annoying for me as a as a user of the web. So I can I can imagine that other people are annoyed by it as well. And so rather than use something like Google Google Analytics that requires you basically to put that kind of notice on your website, I would much rather not track and not have to give that notice. And so if you're not, by my understanding of this, and granted I'm not legally blah, 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 blah. Not legally blah, 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 no. I'm I'm quite legally blah, 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 but I am not a legal expert. But from what I've read with respect to goat counter and trackers like that one, not tracker, well, I'll say tracker, analytics tools like that one, is that because they don't um, place a, a, a session on, uh, on your computer, it's basically just tracking the information that your computer reports by way of browser. So yeah, your screen size, your, um, the browser you're using, the device that you're using and which pages on the site you're actually visiting. That's basically all the information that I get. And if that's just the information that I'm getting and it's not anything specific to any one individual or anything like that, then, then those annoying notices don't have to go on my website, which I think is a great thing because um, one, because I'm not tracking from, from an individual standpoint and two, because I'm not being annoying. I like, I like not being annoying. 
And hopefully this is true, <laughs> that I'm not annoying. Oh, of course, not being able to speak properly is pretty annoying, so I should probably work on that. I'll get back in the groove eventually, I'm sure. But yeah, Goat Counter has been a... a <laughs> setting it up, because it, the the... It's basically one developer who's been developing it with a couple patches from from some other people. And he's also running it as his own service for people who don't want to self-host it. And um, But I don't think there are very many people who are self-hosting it quite yet. And so setting it up myself, some of the documentation and getting it to work. Also, I'm not a Go developer. I'm not a Go person. So I have... Uh, while I use Go tools, like my websites now, I've been doing them in Hugo and uh, and those sort of things. They're, while they're written in Go, I'm not part of that that ecosystem from a development standpoint. So some of the conventions that oh, this is if you're if you're a Go developer, you just automatically know how this sort of system works. I I, I don't know, so I end up having to doing a lot of uh, bug reporting, which is really support requests in the guise of bug reports. Uh, I've only pestered him once or twice with, with that, but once I got it figured out, it actually works really well. I can have it cover... I have one sort of um, goat counter instance, and it works for all my different websites, and I can click to each one and see um, see how they're all behaving, which has been very, very helpful, and I'm pretty excited by that. That's That's very cool stuff. The other interesting things, since I'm already talking about websites and web stuff and marketing general stuff, is I I have gotten slightly more serious with with mailing list maintenance and mailing list things. So you may notice that I may have noticed at the end of every one of my previous episodes, I said you could go to monsterjavaguns.com and uh, subscribe to my mailing list that was on there. Now that mailing list was basically a, a service that was built into my hosting provider's uh, setup, but it was a very bare bones sort of thing. It was um, in terms of what what could be, what type of emails I could send, or or even trying to manage it for for just the management tools for it were not as robust as I would have liked. And I'll. Also, it was being managed by another company, right? I would, I much prefer having, especially if I'm dealing with, with especially something as sensitive as email addresses, I don't want it, your email addresses somewhere else for somebody else. I want your email addresses to be safe. And as far as I'm concerned, if I'm not sharing, if, if I'm putting them on someone else's server, if I'm putting them also on someone else's service, I can't necessarily guarantee others, other than their word that they're not using those email addresses for something else. So being paranoid like that. If I'm not sharing with them, then I know that your email addresses are safe. And so what I what I've set up is I've found another open source tool, PHP list, which is a really cool tool actually. And I'm using that for mailing lists and whatnot. And so I've been able to set up a new mailing list for opensourcecreative.org as well as all of the other <laughs> various websites that I that I do and you can now there's a button on the contact page for opensourcecreative.org that you can subscribe right from there to a mailing list that's dedicated specifically to open source creative and getting that set up actually because it was PHP and I'm actually fairly familiar much more familiar with PHP than I was with Go or than I still am currently with Go um, getting that set up was, was quite a bit easier though. I had email is, uh, 
spammers have made email just just write shit for everybody um, because setting up an email server or using email services or being able to send emails to multiple people all at once has gotten to be um, there's a lot of steps you have to go through through to make sure that one you've got SSL set up so that you have a secure communication channel and also your DNS for the domains that are sending email is uh, is good and you have to have, you know, there's there's a lot of um, sort of, I'm going to say DNS hacks to validate that you you own the domain, you're not sending spam through somebody else's domain, you're not sending spam at all, and it, it's time-consuming to set up, and it's, it's actually pretty, um, that, the, the actual, like, PHP list itself is pretty, pretty easy to get set up and get going. What's difficult to get working is all the stuff around it that involves sending emails to people. But, Eventually, I got that set up. I got that working, and um, anybody who had signed up for the mailing list prior that was on the uh, Giant Coffee Blunderbuss uh, mailing list that was on MonsterJavaGuns.com, they I have I've migrated you over to this PHP list uh, mailing list. You should have gotten an email that said, "Hey, one, you've been migrated," and then not long after that, you got another email saying, "Hey." I'm doing podcast stuff. So just trying to figure out how to best use that communication channel with you. Because again, I want to make this podcast something that, that is useful for everybody. And actually let's, let's talk about the podcast. Cause that's, that's something I want to spend a little bit of time on. So you might notice there's no background sound of me driving. The sound quality is still, I'm, I'm working it out. There's a little bit of echo in the room that I'm in, but you know, I can deal with that. It's better than hearing my car shifting as I'm driving. So it's, you know, I think it's a step up in terms of sound quality. But in any case, there, there's a number of questions that I actually still have with, with how, to, how to proceed with, with the podcast now, right? Because I'm not driving, there are other possibilities. For instance, I could record live. I could have this podcast. I can go on Mumble. I could use Mumble or I could use um, some other service to record live and people could listen in while I'm recording. This actually happens on the uh, Linux Lugcast podcast and a few of the other ones where um, they record live and it's you have a listening room on Mumble and people can actually participate and do that sort of thing. So I could do that. I could also support doing video. You know, I could record um, from a webcam or whatever while I'm talking to you. And so there'd be the audio version, which of course is the, the primary part of the podcast, but I could also do a video component where maybe I'm, so, I'm doing screen shares of various applications to show you how to do specific things. Or it wouldn't necessarily just be my goofy face looking at you in the camera, which it could be, but it wouldn't necessarily have to be. But is that even something that you're interested in from a podcast, from a podcast listener standpoint? Would, would video be something that, that you'd be down for? Um, as well as the live thing. And then... The, the other thing that I'm really, actually, this is something that I definitely want to do. I just have to try to line, line it up is get, do interviews, right? I'm not the only open source creative in the world. There are quite a few of us out there that are doing work on a day-to-day -day basis using open source tools to do creative and interesting things. And I think it'd be a benefit to share those people with the rest of the world. And I think this podcast is a great vehicle for doing that. Now, what I do need help with on that front, because I think, yeah, 
uh, interviews is, is kind of a foregone conclusion. That's going to happen. The, the question then becomes, who? Who should I be interviewing? Right. I, I have a number of people that I know, friends and, and acquaintances who have who use open source software in the work that they do. So I have my own little short list of people that I already know that I'm going to be reaching out to. But who would you like to hear about? Right? Who would you like me to talk to and see if I can't get them to share part of their workflow, part of their process and what tools they use and how they overcome various challenges, both on general creativity, but as well as open source specific related issues like how you know how, how they would use um krita or blender or gimp or audacity or whatever whatever facet of um of the creative process that they're involved with so i need your help to provide me with more names and hopefully contact information that make it kind of nice if you can do an introduction that make it even easier but i will accept at this point who do you want to hear who do you want who do you want to be on the show and of course i got to figure out the whole logistics of how do you record an episode across multiple people there are a bunch of different ways to do it um and they're all some of them are some of them are kludgy and some of them are using other services so for instance one way to do it would just be to let them run a copy of audacity on their side me run a copy of audacity on my side we both hit record at the same time i get both files and i sync them up manually and get them to play nice now if we're doing it from an audio standpoint that totally works and that's totally doable um it's a little bit of um overhead in terms of putting the site putting the, the the show together because i have to edit it a little bit and i've been trying to uh one of the reason why the podcast was um faded a bit was because i would spend a lot of time every time editing every episode and i'm just editing myself and you've noticed that i've been saying things like um or uh or those sort of things and i would i would try to edit those out or you know if there's something that happens egregiously bad where i have to like pay attention to driving uh then then i would have to i would go i feel compelled to go back and edit that sort of stuff out and keep the keep the content kind of cleared up for that and that was the editing process would often take nearly as long as the recording process. So any time that I was saved by actually recording during the commute was lost in the fact that I was editing for almost twice as long, clearing that up because you can't necessarily listen in real time and edit at the same time. So I was trying to listen at like two X speed and find those spots and cut them. And it was, it was, uh, it was not ideal. So that's also a little bit why the live thing appeals to me. Cause then I won't necessarily have to be so precious about it. But so reducing the amount of time that I'm spending editing if I'm doing interviews then trying to do it in such a way where it's all recorded and all baked in one is going to be the ideal sort of way of doing it which is why mumble is kind of attractive to me but I could also use something like uh, Jitsi or Jammy which are, are more video conferencing sort of software but if I'm recording it with video or just audio and getting the file back then I have the ability to take that dump that audio right out put some soundtracks on it ship, ship it out and the world is a happy place. So, yeah, that's that's what I'm... So the, the logistics of actually how to record an interview um, are going to be a little bit rocky at first, I'm sure. So whoever whoever the brave soul is who, who decides to uh, join on that, that venture for the first, couple, first episode or two, or first interview or two, is uh, I'll have to definitely appreciate that. But... Um, that's one of the things that I, that's, that's probably the biggest thing, um, that I'm, I'm looking forward to with, with the relaunch of the episodes, relaunch of the show 
and seeing what we can do with it. Because I, I, I'm really interested in talking about things that are of interest to everybody else on there. And actually, come to think of it, one of the things that's, that, that might be worth investigating is, um, well, if I see how other people do interviews... Right? I have to figure out how I want to do it sort of the open source way because I want to keep using open source tools for it. But maybe there are shows out there that I should be guesting on or being interviewed on. And then mostly that is so I can see how they do it so I can figure out how to do it for my show. So if you have a show that you think I should, I, I'd be a good fit for, let me know about that too. <laughs> that way I can learn as we go. That'd be fun. But... I think at that point I have covered everything that needs to be covered for this episode. In the next episode, we're going to get into uh, more things that are, uh, you know, a little bit more of my ranty sort of things, but also trying to cover things that are going to be useful. So I, I definitely want to see how to how to support doing sort of how-to-ish content from the from the show. Trying to cover that in kind of a, a podcast format is going to be difficult especially if we're talking about especially visual artwork and that sort of thing so i again we have to figure that that part of this out but i'm i'm excited to try it but that's the show that's that's where we're at so we got a lot of questions a lot of possibilities out there but again for the show to really work i need to know what you want the most out of it and the comments again aren't working on the site right now so the best way to let me know send me an email on that's the email address is podcast at opensourcecreative.org of course you could also track me down on social media I'm Jason Van Gumster uh, just look for Monster Java Guns or OSS Creative either one of those those you will find me and tell me what you think there as well and of course just like I said at the end of this all I've got that email newsletter you can sign up to that just as easily as going over to opensourcecreative.org and hitting the contact link and then that page has a little form you put your email address in and that will be that alright this is fun and uh, I'm looking forward to doing another one of these shortly in the meantime it's time to get to work